Father in heaven, we're grateful, Lord, that we can come into your presence together this morning as a church family. Thank you, Father, for the blessings of this past week. We thank you most importantly, Lord, this morning for the blessings of the Sabbath hours. Father, we invite your presence to come in here, your Holy Spirit to grace us with its presence. We pray that you will guide us and help us to rightly apply the word of God in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I was in Cincinnati, Ohio several years ago, back when I was a young man, and, and while I was there, I decided I was going to go to one of the big mega churches in town just to kind of see how things were done. You know, one of those churches where they have hundreds of people that come and multiple services, and it's just kind of, you know, one of those kinds of things. So I drove over in my little Honda Civic, and as I pulled into the church parking lot, I got out of my car in a couple of cars down from where I was at, there was a big SUV kind of vehicle that had parked in the parking lot, and behind him, he had towed his, church, or his, his boat to church that particular day. Now, it got me thinking, you know, hang on a second. I wonder what was running through his mind when he was getting ready for church that morning. What was he thinking about as he was getting ready to go to church? Was he thinking about the time, the day that he would spend together with God or getting through the service so that he could be on to doing whatever it was that he wanted to do. And it got me thinking, I asked myself the question, you know, is the Sabbath a holy day or is it a holiday? I think most of us here this morning would say that it's a holy day, amen? You know, it's not, it's not a day where we just do whatever we want, you know, uh, uh, just, just kind of... Uh, it's slide through the day doing whatever we enjoy doing, but it's a specific day that God has set aside for holy use. And it reminds me of a story in the Bible. You remember this story, I'm sure. Happened during the time of the king of Israel, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And you remember there were two women who one night as they were sleeping in their bed, one woman, one mother, suffocated her baby. And you remember, in the middle of the night, what did she do? She swapped babies out, right? She she took the other baby's live baby and gave her her dead baby. And you remember, they went to Solomon, and he had to figure out which baby was which. But this got me thinking that, you know, the devil is doing this when it comes to our day of worship. He has swapped out a living day for a day that is dead and like any other. The day that God has breathe blessings, the day that God has breathed sanctification upon, the day that God wants to commune with his children that should be alive in our spiritual walk, the devil has removed that in many people's lives and has replaced it with a dead and f- day that's just like any other day throughout the week. But this morning, I want the day that God has blessed and sanctified. I want this holy day, if you will. In fact, as you think about it, the Sabbath is really an I love you from God. It's like he's writing you a letter. But for many people, that I love you letter has been crumpled up in a ball, a wad of paper, and thrown into the trash can or into the corner of the room. Today, what we need to do is we need to iron out the creases on this I love you letter and examine it a little bit more closely. Notice what the Bible says here, 
Mark chapter 2, verse 27, and he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You reread this before in our Bible prophecy seminar. The Bible says that the Sabbath was a gift that God made for us. When you make something for someone, we call that a gift, right? Now, how, would, how do you think a, a grandfather would feel if he had spent weeks in his wood shop making something for his grandchild? And then the day came for him to give that grandchild that gift that he had spent so much time sanding, painting, cutting, nailing, putting it together, and then he gives it to his grandchild, and the grandchild says, oh, thanks, and throws it to the side. How do you think that grandfather would feel? He would feel very hurt because he was, as he was making that thing, as he was painting it and sanding it and all that stuff, he was thinking about who? He was thinking about that grandchild and the smile. He was envisioning in his mind the, the grandchild playing with that thing and having so much fun and excitement with it. And then to just have it cast to the side, it would hurt that grandfather's heart. And I'm suggesting to you this morning that much of the world who have taken the Sabbath, I love you letter, and thrown it to the side, they are hurting God because it's a gift that he has made for them. The creation week, as God created the world, stopped. He said, I want to make something for my children. I don't know about you, but I'd like to tell God, you know, thank you for this gift. Would you like to say that? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the gift of the Sabbath. You know, God is always blessing us, but this is a special blessing that he gives you once a week together with him. Notice that the Bible says, Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, the Bible says this, and on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And then verse 3 says, and God blessed the what? Seventh day, and did what to it? Sanctified it, because that in it he had what? Rested from all his work which he had created and Made Twice in those two verses, the Bible tells us that the Sabbath is on the seventh day and that God rested on that seventh day. Now, this particular passage is interesting. For many years, I just kind of, I don't know, I didn't see this. I just kind of went right over the top of it. But when you look at the passage, the passage actually tells you the reason why the Sabbath is blessed and sanctified. It gives you the reason why. It uses the word because. Because, why is the Sabbath blessed? Why is the Sabbath sanctified? Because that in it he had what? He rested. You see, listen, Sunday is not blessed and sanctified because God didn't rest on that day. Monday is not blessed and sanctified because God didn't rest on that day. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, none of those days are blessed and sanctified because they are not the days that God blessed or that God rested upon. But the Bible tells us the seventh day is the only day that God blessed and sanctified because he rested on that day. You cannot sanctify something that God has not sanctified. We just can't do that. You know, you can't say, well, you know, one out of seven, just pick one and just, you know. No, 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 you can't do that because God has to sanctify something. I cannot sanctify it. And my rest surely doesn't sanctify anything, but God's does. And that's why the Bible says the Sabbath is blessed and sanctified because God rested on that day. Now, unfortunately, 
as many of you know, <clears throat> the Sabbath has been associated with what some people call legalism. What do I mean by that? Legalism simply means like rule, spiritual rules and requirements to kind of earn merit with God. Now, lots of man-made laws have been placed upon the Sabbath. And it's interesting, as you look at the history in the Bible, you actually find out the reason why a lot of these man-made laws were placed upon the Sabbath. And maybe we can talk about that another time. But there are a lot of laws that the Jews had conjured up in their minds, and they uh, oppressed people with keeping these laws and requirements that were extra-biblical. They were not found in Scripture. For an example, in Jewish society or in Jewish culture, some of the rules that you would find is this. You cannot carry anything on the Sabbath. Ladies, did you carry your purse in this morning? Gentlemen, your Bibles? You're all Sabbath breakers, right? You, know? you can't carry things on the Sabbath because carrying a burden is like work, and you don't work on the Sabbath day. And so if you carry a burden of any type, you're breaking the Sabbath. But if you, if you were to pin a napkin to your jacket, that would be okay. Right? You know, because you're not carrying it in your hand. You're, you're, you're carrying it on your... It's like a piece of clothing. You know, the, again, these are not biblical rules, okay? So here's another one. Uh, if your house was burning down on the Sabbath, you couldn't put the fire out. Now listen, in Jewish culture... They did not kindle a fire on the Sabbath because of all the work that was required. Can you imagine if you had to split the wood and you know, get it all together and all that kind of stuff? It was a lot of work, and so they didn't kindle fires or put them out because of the work that was required in them. In fact, still today, if you are in a strict Orthodox Jewish home, they will not turn their stove on on Sabbath. They will not start their car on Sabbath. They will not turn the lights on on Sabbath because you're kindling a fire on the Sabbath day. So if your house was burning down, you just had to say, see you later. I'll have to build another one next time. Now, going along with this, you could only take out of your burning house enough food to see you through the rest of the Sabbath. Leave your clothes in there. Leave everything else in there. You can't take anything else out, just the food that will see you through the rest of the Sabbath. Again, these are extra biblical requirements that are not found in the Word of God. According to Jewish society, you could only walk a certain distance on the Sabbath. So there were a certain amount of paces that you could walk, and if you went one step further, you were a Sabbath breaker. So what they would do is this. They taught that if you ate a meal in between there, you could walk that distance again. So what they would do is on Friday, they would go walk that distance, and they would put some food on the side of the road. So on Sabbath, when they came along, if they needed to go twice that distance, they would walk a little ways, then they would eat a little bit of food, and then they would be able to walk the distance again. So it became very laborious. The keeping of the Sabbath just became very laborious. If you go to Jerusalem today, in high-rise buildings, they have what they call Shabbat elevators, where you don't have to push any buttons on the Sabbath, because if you push a button, you're going to break the Sabbath. And so the elevator stops at every floor, one, two, three, four, five. So you're on there for a long ride if you're all, all going all the way up to the top. So these were extra biblical requirements that they placed on the Sabbath. And as a result of that, the Sabbath became a great burden. And unfortunately, this is what much of Christendom thinks of when they think of the Sabbath. They think about all of these extra human man-made requirements that are not found in the word of God. And so they say, when you say, I'm a Sabbath keeper, many of them start thinking these kinds of things. There were hundreds of requirements that they had that were outside of the word of God 
that they placed upon the Sabbath, thus removing the blessing and in its place putting a curse almost, if you will. Because it took out all of the joy of observing God's day of rest. Now, I want to put this in its proper context together here this morning and try to understand how can I get the blessing out of my time together with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of what? Not of works, lest any man should boast. So, again, clearly we understand that we don't keep the Sabbath to gain merit with God. We don't obey the Sabbath because we're doing it out of works to gain some sort of, you know, something with God. We keep the Sabbath because we love God and we want to get to know him better. That's the only reason why we do it. We do it because we want to draw close to him because he has asked us to spend that time together with him. So this isn't a legalistic thing. This is not a works-oriented religion. This is simply somebody who's saying, listen, I want to go all the way with God, and I want to get as much out of my, 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 my relationship and my experience with him as I possibly can. And there's all of these blessings that he has just waiting to pour down upon me on the Sabbath day if I would enter in to that Sabbath of rest. So here's a question, or rather a statement. Let's look at two practical ways that we can ensure that we will receive a blessing on the Sabbath. The Bible says God blessed and sanctified it. How do I extract the blessing out of the Sabbath? How do I get those blessings? Two ways. Number one is that we have to remember. What do we have to do? Remember. What does the commandment say? Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We've talked about this in our seminar. You tell somebody to remember something so that they don't forget or because they might be forgetful, right? So you say, remember, don't forget this. So God, as he etched this commandment on table of stone, he, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, looked down into the history of this earth. He looked 6,000 years into the future to the Sabbath right here where we are sitting together in this church. And he said, I want to remind those people in Muskegon to keep my Sabbath. And so he wrote the word, remember. Don't forget the Sabbath, as we sang in that hymn, that lovely hymn, together this morning. So the first thing that we need to do to be able to extract the blessings out of the Sabbath is we need to remember it and plan for it. Think about this. When you were a kid, now I know I'm asking some of us to dig really deep thinking about going back into our childhood, right? But when you were a kid, right? When you were a child and December rolled around and you knew at the end of the month something was going to happen, what was that something? Christmas. How many of you look forward to Christmas when you were a kid? Uh, the rest of you aren't participating. How many of you are looking forward to Christmas when you were a kid? Every kid looks forward to Christmas. Why do you look forward to Christmas? Because there's something good that's going to happen, right? You remember your birthday, right? You, when you were a child, you always remember. I know many of us want to forget our birthday right now, right? Oh, man, I'm a year older now. Wow. You know, but anyways, we, when we were children, we remembered our birthday. We remembered Christmas. Why did we remember it? Because something good was going to happen on that day. And so the Bible here is telling us, remember the Sabbath day. Think about it. Plan for it. Look forward to it. Isn't it great? You know, how would, how many of you would have liked when you were a kid to have a birthday once a week? Christmas once a week, right? You would, you sign me up, man. Give me that calendar. I'm, I'm all about that. But, you know, as Christians, God is such a loving father that he gives you 
a special, a special holy day once a week to spend together with him. I don't know about you, but that's a good parent. Once a week, he wants to give you presents, blessings, the Bible calls them, blessings to you as his children. So he says, remember it. Look forward to it. Be eager about the Sabbath uh, as you look forward to it coming throughout the week. The Bible goes on, Leviticus chapter 23, 32, the Bible says, from even unto even shall you what? Celebrate your Sabbath. So we celebrate the Sabbath from even to even. And again, the Bible tells us what an even is in Mark chapter 1 and verse 32, at even when the sun what? So from sunset to sunset, the Bible says we celebrate the Sabbath. And This is just a biblical concept. You find it in Genesis chapter 1 where the Bible says the evening and the morning was the first day. A day in the Bible was comprised of an evening and a morning. So when the next evening came, it started the next day. So from even to even, the Bible says, shall you celebrate your Sabbath. From sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, that's the 24 hours that we spend together with God. Amen? Right, so, so sunset to sunset, the Bible says, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. Now, the Bible gives us a little peek into the mind of the Jewish people back in the time of the Old Testament. Amos chapter 8, verse 5. This is an interesting thing. This is a mindset that we should not have, but maybe you've uh, struggled with it at times. Amos chapter 8, verse 5, the Bible says this, saying, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat? So what we, found is, what we find is this. In the time of Amos, there were Jews who were looking forward to the holy day passing so that they could get back to their work. So they could get back to their business, go out into their fields and start work. They wanted it to move along. It was kind of impeding their productivity. It was impeding their, uh, their, their work, if you will. And so they wanted the Sabbath to go by. They wanted the new moon to go by so that they could get back to work. This is not the mindset that we should have when it comes to the Sabbath. We shouldn't want it to hasten along. It's not like we get our watches out and we say, oh, in 30 seconds, the Sabbath is going to end and I can start doing whatever I want. That's a bad mindset. If you have that mindset, you have not really entered into what it means to be a Sabbath keeper. You know, as I mentioned before, the Sabbath is like a date day together with God. Now, how many of you, when you were dating your spouse, said, 30 seconds, this is going to be over. I need to go get some things done. <laughs> Chances are, if you did that, you're still single right now. <laughs> right? You know, when you're, when you're dating somebody, you want to linger in their presence, do you not? You want that time to go a little bit longer. It always seems like it goes by too fast. And as we enter into the Sabbath of rest, that's what it should be like for us where we want to linger in the presence of God. We want to start that date a little bit early, if you will, and we want to end it a little bit late. We're not anxious for the sun to set. In fact, in a Jewish home, when the sun sets on Friday, it's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of merriment. It's a time of uh, feasting and and, and time together with the family. It's It's a very happy time when the sun sets on Friday because the Sabbath begins. And when the sun sets on Saturday night, it's almost like a time of mourning in the Jewish home as they wave goodbye to the Sabbath and have to start the requirements of the next week. And that's really the mindset that we want to have as we enter into the Sabbath, where it's a time of merriment and almost a time of sorrow as it passes and we have to begin another week 
of labor. So this is not the mindset that we want. We want to remember the Sabbath and eagerly look forward to it in anticipation, knowing that we are going to be blessed as we spend time with our loving creator. Now, the other thing we need to do to ensure that we will receive a blessing on the Sabbath is we need to what? Prepare. Now, your parents, when you were children, did they prepare for Christmas, yes or no? You know, they didn't wake up on Christmas morning and say, oh, we better go Christmas shopping. (laughs) You'd have been one sad kid if they did that, right? (laughs) Because all the shops are closed. You know, when, when, when it comes to your birthday, did your parents prepare for that, yes or no? Do we prepare for Thanksgiving? It's coming up here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we've spent weeks preparing for these things. Why do we spend time preparing for them? So that when we get to that time, we can have focused attention with the important person, right? So you want that, you don't want to spend Christmas shopping for your kids. You want to spend Christmas together with your kids. You don't want to spend the birthday shopping for your kids. You want to spend the birthday with your kids. You don't want to spend Thanksgiving going around and buying stuff to make the meal and and, and hauling people over there. You want to spend Thanksgiving focusing your attention with your family, and get as much done as you can ahead of time. And so when it comes to the Sabbath, we want to prepare for it in anticipation that we're going to receive a blessing. Notice what the Bible says here. Luke chapter 23, verse 54 and 56, the Bible says, and that day was preparation and the Sabbath drew on. So this was the day before the Sabbath, okay? The Bible calls it the preparation. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and they rested the Sabbath day according to the what? Okay, so the Bible here tells us in the Gospel of Luke that the day before the Sabbath is the what day? It's a day of preparation. Now, not only is this a New Testament concept, but it's also something that you find in the Old Testament as well. The Bible says this in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 5, and it shall come to pass that on the sixth day, the what day? Sixth day, that uh, sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. How many of you remember that story of the manna that fell from God out of heaven, right? Fed the children of Israel. Every morning they would wake up, and they would go out and gather the manna, the food from heaven. And they would gather that food, and the Bible tells us that if they kept that food until the next day, what would happen to it? It would spoil. It would go rotten, right? You know, it would breed worms, the Bible tells us. And so they had to gather just enough for that day, and then the next morning they would do the same thing. But according to the Bible, on the sixth day, which we would call what? Friday, or the New Testament refers to it as the day of preparation. So on the sixth day, the Bible says that they were to prepare that which they bring in, that they were to gather how much? Twice as much. Why? Because every Sabbath, God performed a miracle. Do you believe God still performs miracles on the Sabbath? Every Sabbath, God performs a miracle of some sort. And so here we have God performs a miracle. And every Sabbath, when they woke up on Sabbath morning, they would go outside of their tents and guess what they would find on the ground? Nothing. God didn't rain manna on the Sabbath because it was a day of rest. He didn't want them working. He didn't want them going out there gathering food, which I think you can apply that to grocery shopping today. So he didn't want them out there gathering food. They were to prepare the food on the preparation day, gather twice as much so that they had food to eat on 
the Sabbath. So it's a day of preparation. We prepare before so that when the Sabbath comes, we have that focused time with God, with family, and with fellow believers. I remember as a child, uh, Friday in our home, my mom began, began to keep the Sabbath when I was five years old. She became a Sabbath keeper. Uh, and I remember in my home on Fridays, uh, it was just a beehive of activity in the house. We were, you know, cleaning the house and getting various things done. And, and there were always nice smells that were wafting out of the kitchen that were tempting me as a child on Fridays. Mother was in there. She was preparing something, making some nice meal so that when the Sabbath came, she didn't have to be in the kitchen slaving over the meal. Ladies, how many of you think that sounds good? Right, you know, she just stuck it in the oven or put it on the stove or whatever it does, heat it right up, and man, we had the best meals on Sabbath if we didn't stay at church for the fellowship meal. I remember that as a child. And the Sabbath was a time of just fellowshipping together as a family. We invite people to come over. We would just hang out and do some different things, which we're going to talk about here in a few moments. But I remember as a child also that uh, when we finished our meals, the dishes, we would just put them in the sink and we didn't wash them. How many of you think that sounds good? A day where you don't have to wash dishes? You don't sound too enthusiastic about that. No, no dishwashing. We just put it in the dish. We just put it in the sink. Just leave it there. They pile up on the counter. We had an excuse to not wash dishes on the Sabbath. That was great. We didn't want that time taken up, slaving over the sink, washing dishes and drying them and putting them up. We'll do that later on. We're going to spend time together with God right now. We're going to spend time together as a church family, as a family unit, whatever it was. We put that stuff, and we still do that to this day. We just leave the dishes in the sink. We take care of it later on. Yeah, it makes more work after the Sabbath, but that's okay. It creates more time together with God on the Sabbath. And that's really what it's all about. So a day of preparation, we're preparing for it. We're shutting ourselves in together with God, and we're shutting the world out on the Sabbath. That's the basic principle. Shutting ourselves in together with God, shutting the world out. Go with me in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13. I'll give you a couple of minutes, a couple of seconds to get there. I want to read to you a story here. And while you're turning there, I will explain to you the back side of this story. Nehemiah chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 15. Uh, at this particular time, the Jewish people had just recently come out of Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah had prophesied that they would spend 70 years serving the king of Babylon. At the end of that 70 years, there were a number of decrees that were made by the Medo-Persian Empire for them to go back and to begin the process of rebuilding Jerusalem. Nehemiah was one of those guys who came and helped with that process. And as Nehemiah came into Jerusalem to help with the rebuilding of the walls he noticed a few things that made him a little concerned. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 15, listen to what Nehemiah says here. We can learn a lot, of, a lot of stuff from this passage here. It says this, In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the... Hmm. And bringing in sheaves and laden asses as also wine grapes and figs and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the... Hmm. And I testified against them on that day wherein they sold victuals. They were doing business on the Sabbath. Verse 16. Uh, there dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought in fish and all manner of ware, which is merchandise. 
and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Now listen to what he says here in verse 17. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and do what to the Sabbath day? What were they doing to the Sabbath? When they did business, what does the Bible call that on the Sabbath? We're profaning the Sabbath. When we do work on the Sabbath, what does the Bible call that? Profaning the Sabbath. When we engage in regular work, like they were treading the wine presses, the Bible calls that profaning the Sabbath day. Now, it's interesting what Nehemiah says in the very next verse. He says this, did not your fathers thus, what did they do? They profaned the Sabbath. And listen to what he says happens. Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by doing what? Profaning the Sabbath. Listen to me carefully. When we profane the Sabbath, we are closing the door of blessing from God. And in fact, the Bible tells us, when you you study this out, there were two times that the Jews were taken into captivity, to the Egyptians and to the Babylonians. And both times that they were taken out of their captivity, the first thing that God established was Sabbath-keeping. Back in Exodus with the manna, God was establishing Sabbath keeping. Here in Nehemiah, he's establishing Sabbath keeping. Because of their breaking of the Sabbath, they were taken off into captivity. As they came out of captivity, said, God said, listen, you need to keep the Sabbath. And so the Jews in the New Testament said, listen, it's the breaking of the Sabbath that takes us off into captivity, so let's make sure that nobody breaks the Sabbath. And so they made all of these extra laws. All of these extra rules, they were hedging people in and closing it in and making it very claustrophobic because they didn't want to uh, have anything bad happen to them, if you will. So the pendulum swung to the other side. So Nehemiah tells us that when we engage in business here on the Sabbath, we are profaning God's holy day. So this is why as a Sabbath keeper, I don't go to Walmart on the Sabbath, right? I don't go to Meyer on the Sabbath. I don't buy gas on the Sabbath. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. But I don't want to profane the Sabbath by taking my mind off of God on the Sabbath day. I prepare ahead of time, and I get that stuff done ahead so that when the Sabbath comes, I don't have to engage in that type of activity. I mean, think about it. If you're in Walmart and you're shopping to gather groceries, are you thinking about God when you're thinking about how you can most efficiently spend your money? All of us have budgets, We're all trying to make sure we don't, you know, overspend. And so when you're doing that, you're not thinking about God. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But on the Sabbath, it's a day where we're closing ourselves in with God and shutting the world out. And so that's why I choose to do that stuff on the other six days. And I choose the Sabbath day as the day that I shut myself in just with God. Is that clear? Now, notice what the passage goes on to say. It says this, verse 19, and it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till when? After the Sabbath. And some of my servants sent I at the gate that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of merchandise lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. And I testified against them. And said unto them, why lodge ye about the wall? If you do so again, I will what? I will lay hands on you. From that time forth, they came no more on the Sabbath. Nehemiah must have been a pretty scary guy. 
If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. I, wouldn't, I guess they didn't want Nehemiah laying hands on them. So they got the message and they said, okay, we're not going to lodge without the wall anymore. He didn't want them being distracted by the sellers of merchandise on the outside. So as God's people, we choose to avoid this stuff on the Sabbath. Again, it's not a legalistic thing, but it's because I want to have that focused time together with God. And let me say one thing before I move on, on in the presentation. Jesus talks in the New Testament about scenarios where things come up on the Sabbath that you wouldn't normally do on the Sabbath day, but because it's happened, you're kind of faced with it and you've got to take care of it. He calls it the ox in the pit scenario. You've probably heard about this before, right? He said, if your ox falls in the ditch on the Sabbath, he asks them, what are you going to do? What do they say? You know, ox was a means of livelihood back then. They couldn't afford to lose their ox. And so they would go, even if it was on the Sabbath, they would go and they would haul their ox out of the ditch. Now, let me ask you a question. If your ox is falling in a ditch every Sabbath, what do you need to do? You either need to get a new ox or get a new gate. Right? So if we're finding ourselves in that ox in the ditch scenario every Sabbath, then there's something that's wrong. But every now and then, there's things that come up that we're faced with on the Sabbath that we wouldn't normally do, but under the circumstances, we kind of need to take care of it. Here's an example of that. You know, say for an example, my, my child you know, gets sick and it's on the Sabbath. Having, you know, they have this fever or whatever it is. I don't have the medication to treat that and I'm on the Sabbath. What am I going to do? Tell them to suffer through it? Mm-mm, I'm not going to tell them to suffer through it. That's an ox in the ditch scenario. So I'm going to drive down the Walmart and I'm going to buy the medication that she needs to help relieve her suffering. So God is not legalistic here, okay? There, he allows for that leeway when we find ourselves in those situations that, you know, we didn't necessarily plan for. We would have prepared ahead of time if we had known, but we didn't know, here we are. So we're going to take care of it. So we serve a very balanced God. Would you say amen? We're very balanced, you know? So we avoid secular places, we close ourselves in with God, and we shut the world out on the Sabbath. Listen to what the Bible tells us here. This is our scripture reading this morning, Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. It says, if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. What does it mean to turn away your foot from the Sabbath? It simply means to stop trampling on the Sabbath. When you trample on something, do you have a high value of it or no? Right, it's it's just, you know, it's dirt or whatever it is. So he says, stop trampling on the Sabbath. Turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a... A delight, holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasures, nor speaking thine own words. And then it says this, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So the Bible tells us this, number one, we're not to do our own ways on the Sabbath. Number two, we're not to find our own pleasure on the Sabbath. Number three, not speaking your own words on the Sabbath. And number four, then we would delight ourselves in the Lord. Now, I know the temptation is to look at that list and say, well, man, that looks like it's going to be pretty boring on the Sabbath then. The principle is this. The Sabbath is not man-centered. It's God-centered. So anything that is manly, we take it out. Right, So we don't have secular conversations on the Sabbath. That's not speaking my own words. Not that there's anything wrong with having those types of conversations. We just don't choose to do it on the Sabbath because we're taking man out and replacing it with 
God, right? So not speaking my own words is speaking God's words instead of my own secular conversation. Own pleasures, that's doing the things that I want to do because it satisfies me instead of that enhancing of my relationship with God. Not doing your own way, same principle there, right? So we're taking ourselves out, man out, and we're replacing it with God. It is a God-centered day. And then the Bible says, thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord. So that's the principle here in this passage. We're taking man out, we're replacing it with God, and we're turning our foot away from trampling on God's holy day. How many of you remember the story of Mary and Martha back in the New Testament? Right, you know Mary and Martha? uh, Jesus came into their home. How many of you would like to have Jesus come in your home? Wouldn't that be great? You know, he does through the medium of the Holy Spirit. He's there. Right? But, I mean, he was physically there. They could hear him with their own ears. They could see, them, see him with their eyes. So there, Jesus is in their home. What do you find Martha doing? What was she doing? Cooking and cleaning and bringing food out. And she was spending a lot of time in the kitchen. What was Mary doing? Let me ask you a question. Who was blessed? This is the principle of the Sabbath in this story. So Sabbath keeping is illustrated right here in the story of Mary and Martha. On the Sabbath, we want to be a Mary. Would you say amen? Cooking and cleaning, all that stuff needs to happen. We need to serve our guests. That that, that, that stuff is important. needs to be done. But we want to prepare ahead of time because Jesus is coming into our home. And we don't want to be distracted with that stuff when we're spending time together with him. So that's the principle. Keeping the Sabbath is having that Mary experience, not the Martha experience, if you will. So what should we do on the Sabbath? What are some of the things we should and shouldn't do on the Sabbath day? Again, do I sit around uh, praying or studying my Bible or twiddling my thoughts? How do I engage with the Sabbath? What should I do? So here's the basic principle, and then I'm going to give you some Bible passages, okay? The basic principle is this. If I can engage in this activity, whatever it is, and enhance my relationship with God, do it. But if I engage in this activity and it distracts from my relationship with God, you might want to do it on the other six days of the week. Does that make sense? Again, because the Sabbath is a God-centered day, I'm shutting myself in together with him, and I'm closing the world out. So I don't like to get too specific here because the Bible doesn't even get specific. It's the principle behind it. So we want to to do things that are going to help us grow in our walk with the Lord, not detract from that relationship. For an example, you know, myself, you know, I like to ride my bike every now and then. I've kind of gotten out of it, but I, I used to like to ride my road bike. And that's something that I probably wouldn't do on the Sabbath because when I ride my bike, I like to pay attention to how fast I'm going, how far I'm going, what my pace is, and all that kind of stuff. I'm paying close attention to that uh, because that's just the nature of it for me. It's kind of a a hobby, if you will. So I'm probably not going to do something like that on the Sabbath because I'm not thinking about God as I'm paying attention to my speed and all that kind of thing. But somebody else might get their bike out of the garage and go for a leisurely stroll through the woods and have a great time together with the Lord riding their bike in nature, right? So it's the principle behind it, yeah? So if I can engage in this and it will grow my relationship with God, do it. If you are going to engage in that and it detracts from your relationship with God, you might want to do it on the other six days of the week. Now let's get some uh, other practical principles here from the Bible. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16 The Bible says this, and he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on what? 
the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. It was a custom of Jesus to go into the synagogue on what day? Now listen to me carefully this morning. I meet people from time to time who have reasons why they don't come to church. So-and-so's here, such-and-such said this about me. So-and-so treated me this way last Sabbath, and so they stopped coming to church. But let me tell you something this morning, brothers and sisters. Listen to me carefully, okay? Jesus went to church every Sabbath, even though the pastor was plotting his death. If Jesus can go to church under those circumstances, there's nothing that should keep you out of church unless there's some sort of physical thing that's physically keeping you from going to church. Are you all with me this morning? Amen? If Jesus can go to church and sit in the pew and listen to the man speak from up front that is secretly plotting his death behind the scenes, I think you and I are nowhere near that particular situation because I'm not plotting anybody's death. (laughs) So the Bible says it was his custom. It was something that he did on a regular basis. It, It didn't matter what was going on in the church. Yes, there was a lot of hypocrisy. Yes, there was a lot of bickering. There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of unsanctified people that were standing up front. But still, he was on church on the Sabbath day because it's not about him. It's about God. And he wanted to be found in that place of worship. And so he came to church on the Sabbath. He was there, and he spent time with the other people that were there. And this particular Sabbath, he actually participated in the worship service. Acts chapter 17 and verse 2, the Bible says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them three Sabbath days, and what did he do? He reasoned with them out of Scripture. So the Bible says it was a custom or a manner of Paul to go to the the synagogue also or, or to reason with people on the Sabbath day. So we find biblical examples here for people attending worship on the Sabbath day. Irrespective of what was going on in the church, they still went to church because it was important for them to assemble themselves together. In fact, that's what the very Bible says here. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the what? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. What does the Bible say? Don't forsake the what? It simply means go to church. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You know, when you think about the church, the church is what I like to call God's washing machine. How many of you are thankful for your washing machines? Why are you thankful for your washing machine? Because it keeps you smelling peachy, doesn't it? Right? But let me ask you a question. How does your washing machine wash your clothes? It washes them through agitation. Somebody ought to say amen. It washes them by what? You have water, you have soap, and you have agitation. And those three things combined result in what? Clean clothes. We're thankful for that. You will never look at your washing machine the same any longer, will you? Now, the Bible tells us that when Christ comes back, he is looking for a church that is without Or, how did God get rid of the spots? There has to be agitation. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but, you know, when you're just spending time on your own, you can feel pretty holy. (laughs) 
When you're at home and nobody else is around and, you know, you're just by yourself, you, you, you can feel pretty sanctified and feel pretty holy when you're all by yourself, but then you have kids. <laughs> or then you get married, right? Or then you go to church and all of a sudden these things start coming out in your character that you never even knew was there. And you're like, what in the world? Where did that thing come from? That's the agitation process. God is pointing out those characters. He's bringing it to the surface. And through the agitation, he is getting rid of those spots in your character. So when we come away from the church of God and we don't go to church, guess what we become? Stinky Christians. Who likes being around stinky people? And we wonder why our church is suffering. Got lots of people saying, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't go get my clothes washed. I'm a stinky Christian. And people are like, oh, man, I don't want to be around stinky people. I don't want to be around a stinky Christian, right? You know, so the Bible tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Come together. God wants to wash you. He wants to get rid of those spots in your character. He needs the church. You need the church to bring those character flaws to the surface so that you throughout the week can kneel next to your bed every morning and say, God, give me victory over this particular area in my life. Help me to have compassion towards somebody who shouldn't be, uh, receive compassion. Help me to be kind to those that are unkind. Help me to be loving to the unlovable. Help me to go the extra mile when I feel like I'm being used. Lord, help me to have victory over these character flaws in my life. You need the church. You need the church. It's God's appointed agency to help you in your character development. I heard a story one time about a minister who uh, was going through his uh, uh, membership list, and he noticed a man that hadn't been attending very often. And so he went over and he visited this man and said, you know, started talking to him about his church attendance, and he just went off. You'll find that oftentimes happens when you start talking to people about their attendance. They get a little guilty conscience, and they start coming up with all of these justifications for why they aren't, aren't attending church. And he had this reason and that reason and another reason. He was just going and fire at rapid, rapid pace, one reason after another, why he wasn't coming to church. And the pastor's sitting there, what in the world am I going to do? How can I deal with all of these different things? There's no way I can fix this. And as he was sitting there thinking and listening and praying, he, he all of a sudden looked up and in this man's living room was a fireplace with a fire in it. So he got up and he walked over to the man's fireplace and took one of the tools there and he pulled one of the coals out and just left it there on the hearth. When he pulled it out, it was nice and glowing and red and beautiful. And he sat down. Man's going off this thing and another thing and this person did this and that person said that and this person, uh, you know, uh, stabbed me in the back and the pastor said this about me. All kinds of things, he's just going off. And that coal's sitting there. What's it doing? Smoldering. And it's going from a bright glowing red to now it's turning gray and poof, all of a sudden the smoke starts coming up. Pastor gets up and he walks over and he grabs that same tool and he shoves it back in the fire and within minutes, what happens to it? it catches on fire again. And the man got the story. The pastor didn't have to say a single word. He said to the pastor, I'll be in church next week. What was the point? When you remove yourself from the people of God, what happens? It is inevitable. I've been in ministry long enough, and I've seen this happen a number of times. It is inevitable that when you remove yourself from church attendance, your spiritual life will begin to wane. You will start reading your Bible less. You will start praying less. You will start thinking spiritual thoughts less. You will start engaging in more secular things, and your spiritual life will begin to decline 
as you do this. But as we stay with God in his church and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, it helps keep us on fire for God. You need the church. Jesus did. I think if he needed it, I need it too. Uh, So in this church, just so you know, Sabbath school starts at 10. That's a time where we just kind of sit around and we study the Bible. It's kind of an open forum thing where you can make comments and there's a teacher that teaches. It's a great time to grow in your understanding of the Bible. We're doing phase two during this particular time over at the uh, school. We have our church service that starts at 1130 where we come in here and we have the breaking of the word of God. It's very centered around the Bible. Everything in Sabbath school and church is centered around the word of God. We're taking man out and we're placing God in the center. So you'll find in this particular church that there's not a lot of time that is put in the, uh, the, the stuff before the sermon. We like to give as much time as possible to the preaching of the word because that's what we're here for, to hear the word of God. Amen? So 10 o'clock for Sabbath school, 1130 for church is what we do in this church. Uh, Acts chapter 16 and verse 13, the Bible says this, and on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by the riverside. What do you call the area outside of the city? Country, right? You know, so they went out of the city by the riverside where what was want to be made? Prayer. So they left the city, they went into the country, and what did they do? Pray. There's two things here in this Bible passage. On the Sabbath, the Bible tells us they did this. So one thing that you can do on the Sabbath is leave the city and go out and enjoy the country. How many of you enjoy the country? There's no place more beautiful than Michigan. I heard a couple of amens. We live in a beautiful area. Let's just be honest, right? I mean, we've got beautiful areas all around us where we can unplug from the busyness of life, get out of the city, and go out someplace in what I like to call God's second book. This is God's first book, the Word of God, and God's second book is nature. God likes to teach us through the things of nature. And so the Bible says they went out in nature on the Sabbath, and they prayed on the Sabbath. They spent a little extra time in prayer on the Sabbath day. These are just practical things that the Bible tells us they did on the Sabbath. Acts chapter 18 and verse 4, the Bible says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the, they were witnessing on the Sabbath day. That's another great thing to do. Go out and share your faith on the Sabbath. Every third Sabbath in this church, we have a dedicated time where we go out and we pass out literature and we spend time uh, engaging with our community and sharing the good news of the gospel that God has given to us. That's a great thing for us to do on the Sabbath day to share our faith with those that we come in contact with. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 3, the Bible says this, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of, how many of you like to sleep? Sign me up, right? The Bible says the Sabbath is a Sabbath of rest, and so every now and then, rest is just what you need on the Sabbath. You had a busy week, had maybe several late nights and early mornings and you've just been going full blast and you need to take some time to rest on the Sabbath. We call it, in this church, we call it lay activities. Now, let me suggest to you something. I'm gonna suggest that you don't do this every Sabbath. Don't sleep the blessings of God's Sabbath hours away every single Sabbath. Now, I know there's times where you need to do that. I understand, you know, we're human, we can only go so much, and we all have busy schedules. 
But we don't want to sleep away those blessed hours every Sabbath. We want to enjoy the other things and gain blessings in other areas of our life, doing the various other things that we've talked about so far in our study. But sometimes rest is just something that you need because you've had such a busy week and you need to get caught up on that. Uh, And it's totally something that the Bible tells us we should do. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 12, the Bible says this, Wherefore it is lawful to do what on the Sabbath? To do well on the Sabbath. That's kind of a broad statement there. Basically, the Bible says you should do good things on the Sabbath. You should help other people out. You know, Jesus went around healing people on the Sabbath day. Let me ask you a question. When he healed those people on the Sabbath, do you think they remembered that Sabbath? Do you think that that Sabbath was a blessing to them? Sure it was. He went around healing people of their sicknesses. He went around preaching and teaching. He did all kinds of good things on the Sabbath. The Bible says it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. Get creative. What good things can I do to help other people out? So the Bible is basically telling us here. I went to a boarding academy where we all kept the Sabbath. And you can imagine the challenge of keeping all these, you know, teenage young people engaged on the Sabbath. So we'd go to church in the morning, Sabbath school and church, and then we'd come back to the school. We'd have lunch. And then afternoon, we did all, there were all kinds of different things we did. Sometimes we'd go on a Sabbath afternoon hike on the Sabbath, just enjoy nature. Sometimes we would write letters to missionaries in foreign countries, thanking them for the work that they were doing over there. Sometimes we would uh, go to the shut-ins, places where people couldn't get out, and we would spend time reading and singing and talking to the folks that couldn't get out of their house. Sometimes we'd go to the nursing homes. I think we do that here, don't we? Every third Sabbath, we go and do sunshine bands, go to the nursing home, and we spend time singing to the folks and engaging with them. Do you think that's a blessing to them? You know, it didn't take long for me as a teenage young person that was very self-centered. It didn't take very many Sabbaths for me to stand next to the bed of an older person that's stuck in a nursing home to realize that they were being blessed. Have hardly anybody that comes and visits them. Hardly, the family hardly even comes and visits them. And to have a young person come, it was a blessing to them. So we found various ways that we would try to engage with people and be a blessing on the Sabbath. The Bible says it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. As I mentioned, Jesus did many good things on the Sabbath, and so should we. So let's boil it down to three basic points, and then we'll, we'll close this thing off. Three guidelines for Sabbath activities. Number one is this, Sabbath activities should be God-centered and not self-centered. Amen? It's all about God and my relationship with him. It's not about me. Number two, uh, the Sabbath activities should ensure the joy and happiness of how many people? Everybody, right? You know, so, you know, I might like to go home and take a nap on Sabbath, but let me ask you a question. Is that going to be a blessing to my children? (laughs) I guess it would be if I was crabby, huh? (laughs) Got a mixed answer on that one, right? So you got to be creative here, right? So you want everybody to be blessed, to be blessed on the Sabbath, parents and children alike. My mom had to get creative, but I want to tell you, As a child, I was five when my mom started keeping the Sabbath. As a child, I looked forward to the Sabbath. And I thank my mother, thank the Lord for helping my mother, to come up with all of these ways to make Sabbath attractive to me and not something that I didn't look forward to. I looked forward to the Sabbath. It was a time of lots of great things that would happen and special things on the Sabbath day. So it should ensure the joy and happiness of everybody in the home, not just to a few people. Number three, Sabbath activities should contribute to our mental, emotional, and physical renewal and not create what? 
You don't want to get to the end of the Sabbath and say, man, I'm glad that's over with. Now I need to catch up on my rest tomorrow. You don't want Sunday to become your Sabbath, in other words. So these are three guidelines that will help you with your Sabbath activities as you choose them. But again, the basic principle is, can I engage in this and it enhance my relationship with God? If it doesn't enhance your relationship with God, you may want to do it on the other six days of the week. If it grows your relationship with the Lord, by all means, you probably want to engage in something like that. Because again, it's all centered around God, not around self. So Sabbath activity should be God-centered, not self-centered. Sabbath activity should ensure the joy and happiness of everybody in the home. And Sabbath activity should contribute to our mental, emotional, and physical renewal and not create exhaustion. How many of you would have liked to have been in the Garden of Eden on that first Sabbath? You know, Adam and Eve hadn't even learned about the Sabbath at this point. They'd just been created a couple of hours before. You know, and here they are. I mean, they're, they're learning at this particular time about the Sabbath. Jesus, or God is instructing them about the Sabbath. And they're going around and God is showing them, Jesus is showing them all of these great things that he's created for them. Uh, the wonderful beauty of the Garden of Eden, that must have just been a stupendous event to be able to participate in. But the good news is that we know from Scripture, as we saw in our study together last week, that when we get to heaven, we're going to be keeping the Sabbath. And we're going to be keeping the Sabbath in the new earth that God has recreated. Eden that was lost will be Eden restored again. And we will be able to walk through the earth freshly created by God's hand, uh, by his word rather, freshly created. And we'll be able to experience at some level what Adam and Eve experienced as they kept the Sabbath with Jesus in the Garden of Eden. I'm looking forward to that. You know, it's something we're going to do. We're doing it in heaven. We're going to do it here on this earth, and we're going to just have a little bit of that blessing here on this earth. But when we get to heaven, it's just going to be so amazing to enjoy that Sabbath keeping with God in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens, in the new earth. And I'm looking forward to that. How about you? It's going to be a time of rejoicing. So I pray that these principles are an encouragement to you. If you want more information, by all means, come and talk to me. I'd be happy to give you some more thoughts on this. But this is the gift that God has given to us, and I want to thank him for that this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Sabbath that you have given to us. What an incredible blessing the Sabbath is. And Father, we've just briefly spoken about this morning some of these principles on how we can extract the Sabbath blessings out of it. Lord, we want to know you better. We want to grow in our walk, in our relationship with you. We want the Sabbath to be refreshing, something that we are eagerly anticipating all week long and looking forward to. Not a drudgery, not a burden, not something that uh, is unpleasant to us, but Lord, we want it to be filled with this experience of getting to know our God better. So, Father, bless us to this end, we pray. Bless us as we enjoy the rest of these Sabbath hours, as we engage with one another, as we do various things. Guide us, Lord, and may we receive that special Sabbath blessing you've prepared for us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.